Well, have you ever seen a child throw a tantrum? Now, it probably never happened to your kids or any of your family members, but you've been to the store, right, and you've seen other kids throwing a fit, going down the candy aisle. They just want some candy. Going down the toy aisle. I want that toy aisle. Tears, just a mess. And finally, sometimes the parent will give in just because they're so embarrassed and they want to quiet the child down. And it's amazing how fast they can go from tears to joy. Right? All of a sudden, everything's okay again in their little world. Maybe some of you have participated in that when you were growing up. Today, our sermon title is, is called From Tears to Joy. But we're not talking about the artificial, contrived tears of a childhood tantrum. We're talking about legitimate sorrow that God has a way to turn into joy. And today, we're going to be looking at six verses, only six, from the book of Psalms, Psalm 126. So I invite you to open up your Bibles and turn with me there. Psalm 126. Now, for those of you that like music, Clary mentioned how music speaks to her soul. I'm just going to tell you, write this down. You want to look this up on YouTube later on. Esther Moy, E-S-T-H-E-R-M-U-I, Psalm 126. It's this whole psalm yeah, put to music. Every single word. I think she did it in this particular song from the King James, and it's really good. Esther Moy, M-U-I, Psalm 126. Or you can just put the number 126 in, and you'll have something good to listen to this afternoon. Psalm 126. You'll notice it says before verse 1, something in your Bible. What does your Bible say there? A song of ascents. Thank you, <laughs> two of you. A song of ascents. Now, in Psalm 120, that begins 15 psalms in a row, which are called the psalms of, or songs of ascents. And historically, it, people have said that they were sung as people were going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem on top of a hill, on top of a mountain. And three times a year, at least, there were these universal pilgrimages, these festivals that people would come from around the country to attend in Jerusalem. And as they were going up towards Zion, up towards Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. It's also been said in the Mishnah, which is a collection of oral traditions from ancient Judaism, that on the stairs at the temple, they would sing the songs of ascents. The, the choir there at the temple would sing some of these 15 psalms. Now, we don't know the exact event that occasioned the writing of this psalm. David did not write all, those, all the psalms. You'll see some of them are written by Asaph or the sons of Asaph. They're written by a number of different people. But as you read the language, it seems most fitting in my thinking, to apply it to the return from the Babylonian captivity. 
Uh, but you'll see it really doesn't matter specifically which event occasioned the writing of this psalm because it could apply in so many different situations because basically we have two parts. Part one, remembering how God helped him in the past. And part two, asking God to do it again. Two simple parts. But if it was written after the return from Babylon, 70 years of captivity in a foreign land, Perhaps Ezra, the scribe, may have written this, or some of the children, uh, descendants of Asaph, are recorded in the book of Ezra as returning from captivity as well. So we're not exactly sure, but think about Babylon as we read it here. Let's start in verse 1. Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, or in the King James, turned again, the captivity, New King James, when the Lord um, brought them back from captivity, essentially. We were like those who dreamed. It seemed too good to be true. Have you ever had that, an experience where it just seemed too good to be true? If you've ever looked for housing on Craigslist, you've had that experience, and it's because it's a scam. It is too good to be true. Four bedroom, three bathrooms for $6.99 a month. <laughs> I'm in Idaho and I'll send you the keys. <laughs> Just send me the money first. It seemed too good to be true. Maybe you've had a dream and then you wake up. Ah, oh, that was only a dream. It seemed so wonderful and then you woke up to reality. Has that ever happened to you before? Yeah. <laughs> the worst is when you don't want to get up to use the restroom in the middle of the night and you dream that you have gotten up and taken care of things and then you wake up, oh, that was just a dream. I told myself I wasn't going to say that, but here I, here I just said it. <laughs> but this is real life we're talking about. We're friends here. So, <laughs> it felt like they were dreaming. You know, when Peter was divinely broken out of jail in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, he thought at first it was a vision. This has got to be a vision. This can't be real. But it was real. Seventy long years they had been in captivity. Many of the people were born in captivity. They'd never even been to Jerusalem. They'd only heard stories about it. Some of the old people could remember being a child, forced to leave, forced to march those 800 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then all of a sudden, they were allowed to go home. Book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 29, describes how they were Allowed. God actually said in Jeremiah 29, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And then verse 11, but I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans for good, to give you a future and a hope. And then verse 14, after having said, if you seek me, you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. God had said in Jeremiah 29, verse 14, I will return you from your captivity. I will take you back. And that's exactly what we have here as I read it in Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives 
to Zion or Zion as captives, it was like we were dreaming. Verse 2, our mouths were filled with what? With laughter. And what else? And our tongues had what? Singing songs of joy. They were so happy. They just were laughing with joy. Giddy, I think, is a very appropriate word. Have you ever been so happy that you just start laughing or you start singing? That's how they felt. They were going home. They were going back to the land that God had given them. The 70 long years of captivity were over. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Now the Bible records these same nations when they were uh, watching Israel going into captivity. They were laughing at them. They were happy. They, the word there is schadenfreude, taking pleasure in the misfortunes of others. They were enjoying watching Judah and Jerusalem, the Israelites, going into captivity. But now the Bible says, wow, the nations recognized that God had done something special. When God does something special in your life, do others even know about it? God had wanted to use Israel as a light to the nations. Now, they failed a lot, just like us. Just like us. But even in spite of that, God was using his return of them back to their homeland as a way to bring glory to himself. Not because God is this narcissist that needs glory for himself. He's trying to save everybody. He's trying to show everybody the superiority of following in his path. And so the nations looked on and they said, wow, the Lord has done great things. For them. When God does great things for you, we should be telling others about it. I like that. At prayer meeting every week, Bible study, small group, whatever you want to call it on Wednesdays at 7, we share, hey, what's God done for you this week? And it's so cool to hear those answers to prayer. And maybe you do that in your Sabbath school classes. Um, by the way, we, we've started our Sabbath school classes again. We're trying to build them back up again. But that is a really important part of, of spiritual development, having that type of community. Or maybe you want to start a small group that meets during the week. I would love to support that and advertise that. It could meet in your home. We need that encouragement throughout the week. I need that encouragement. So if you want to start a small group, tell me. And we'll, we'll give you resources, advertising. We'll send people your way. We've got to tell people what God's done for us. We need to be in the habit of praising God for what he's done. Our neighbors should know that we serve God. And they should hear that, that God is good from our lips. We need to pray and work for opportunities there. And then verse 3, they reflect, The Lord has done great things with us, for us, and we are filled with joy. Up to this point, we've been pretty much in the past tense, and now it shifts to the present tense. This is what God did for us, and we have this joy that God 
has filled us with. We are glad. You know, I think one of the biggest dangers for us is to fail to remember what God's done for us in the past. To fail to record and reflect on God's goodness in the past is setting us up for doubt, discouragement, disbelief, and a whole bunch of other things. We forget what God has done for us. But it is encouraging. Mark it in your Bible. Mark it in your journal. Make a note in your phone. Answered prayers. Find some way to record what God has done for you. You could even get creative and, and put a collage up on your wall. Picture, uh, you know, with pictures or whatever. Find a way to memorialize what God has done for you. I was talking with a high school principal. He said, high schoolers have a short memory when it comes to what you've done for them. He, he said, yeah, they'll say things like, yeah, but what, are you, what have you done for me now? Kind of a thing. Yeah, I, mean, I know we had that fun event then, but what are we doing now? What can we do now? What are you going to do? What do you have for me now? We need to remember what God has done for us in the past to help us because we may not always have those experiences. You know, and it seems like there is a general trajectory that sometimes occurs in believers' lives where when they first come to the Lord, at times they ha- their coming to Jesus is marked with miraculous experiences or a close sense of what God has done for them and a very a powerful leading in certain dramatic ways. Not for everybody, but for a number of people. And then over time, those more visibly manifesting, uh, God manifesting himself in their life, they may not be as frequent, and they're called to rely on faith in what God has done in the past. Uh, Ellen White had most of her visions when she was younger. When she was older, she had far fewer visions. So it's so important for us to remember what God has done for us in the past. And that's what this psalm is doing. But then we get to verse 4. Because they're in trouble again. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, as the NIV says. Turn again our captivity, We're back in another situation, and God, we need your help. Like the streams in the south, or the Negev. I want to, God, we need your help. Restore us like these streams in the south. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen here. The Negev is in southern Israel, and you can see what kind of a country it is, what kind of a land it is. Uh, Looks pretty green and bountiful, huh? No, just the opposite. But you can see a, 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 a wash basin. You can see a dry stream bed where there are some green things. But have you ever been or seen pictures of the desert after the rains? It is amazing. Flowers that have been waiting to bloom and grow for years in the soil all of a sudden shoot up overnight when the rain comes. I've done some slot canyons, these narrow 
canyons. And you want to make sure you're not in one when there's any chance of rain because just in an instant, a flash flood, rain that has come from the mountains can come whistling through that canyon and people drown, uh, unable to escape. Uh, but that's how fast the situation can change. And so the psalmist here is saying, God, restore us. Our situation looks bleak. It looks dry like a desert. But turn it around, God. Make it quick. Improve our situation just like the desert can be watered so quickly. Do that again, Lord. You've done it in the past. We seemed like we were dreaming. Do it again, Lord. And then a reminder here in verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap in what? In joy. You see, there's two different ways that God is described in how he can intervene in our situation. One is a quick, miraculous way that changes things quickly. Changes it fast. And you've probably experienced that. But the other is where we cooperate with God and it may take some toil and effort on our part to change our situation. But through uh, being faithful in sowing, eventually we reap a harvest. Like Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't lose heart. Those who sow in tears will reap songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. You know, you can think about if this psalm does describe ancient Israel returning from their captivity, they had problems when they got home. What was the situation with their walls when they got home? Were they in good shape after all that time away? The book of Nehemiah describes the difficulties they had rebuilding the walls, the enemies that they had to face while rebuilding the walls. And I suppose when they got home that there were wheat fields and, and fruit trees and everything just waiting for them to harvest it, right? Because the groundskeeper had been watching over things for them, right? No. I mean, there were probably people who were inhabiting that land, but they may have had issues just even getting enough food. They didn't have the supplies and the, the grain stores, and they didn't have the system of harvesting well in place because they had been gone for 70 years. You can imagine they had some troubles when they got home. Like coming back from a long vacation and finding out that your freezer died. The power had gone out and something shorted out and now everything is melted and messed up and you have no, nothing in your freezer or fridge that's good. Maybe that's happened to you. If, you. if it has, you know what that's like. God, help us. He who sows with tears will reap in joy. You can imagine a farmer who doesn't have a lot of food, and he's got some seed corn, and he has to make a choice. Am I going to eat the corn, or am I going to plant it? 
I'm hungry now, and I don't know where I'm going to find food in the future, but if I don't plant this now, I won't have anything in the future. And so with tears, he throws the seeds, the corn, into the ground, trusting that it will grow and will reap a harvest. Sometimes that's how it feels when when God turns our situation. It's not always like a flash flood of deliverance that makes everything green again all of a sudden. Sometimes it's faithfully doing the next step in front of you. Tearfully, agonizingly, step by step, putting in the work. Cooperating with God's Spirit as God's Spirit works the change. Never seen anybody just grow muscles overnight. It takes going to the gym, putting in the work. As this trainer likes to say, he says, one day or day one? Are your goals, yeah, one day, I'm going to be like this, or, okay, today's day one. What am I going to do today to get towards that goal? And so there are two different ways recognized here in the psalm of how God delivers. Through instant miraculous things or through the Spirit helping us put foot after foot in front of one another as we work towards that harvest. But we're promised a harvest. We're promised that God can bring that joy. You think about people in the Bible. I mean, we could, we could do a whole sermon just listing off people who had horrible experiences that God delivered them from. Just to think of a few. What about Joseph? Joseph was literally in a pit. He was in a well. His brothers had put them there, him there, and then they sold him into slavery. Step after step, going towards Egypt. I bet he sowed his tears. I bet he had a lot of crying on that long journey away from home. But did God turn his situation? Eventually, it wasn't, a, wasn't an overnight kind of a thing. Eventually, he had tears of joy. Not only were his fortunes changed, but he had restored relationship with his family in the end. Think about Daniel thrown down into that lot den of lions. We don't know if he cried or not. I might have tears of of, uh, terror, we could call them. But then in the morning, he was delivered. So many people throughout scriptures, God has done it for others and he can do it for you and me. What's that old song? I like those old songs too. It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. Not guaranteed it's going to be quick, but God guarantees that he will help us. We may be sowing tears right now, but there is a glorious future ahead. A wonderful future. And the Bible actually says that God counts our tears. He knows the number of our tears. Psalm 56, verse 8, record my lament. 
List my tears in your scroll. Are they not in your record? Parkwood friends, those watching online, wherever you are in the world, God sees your tears. God knows your pain. Isaiah 53 says that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus has already in some way experienced the pain we're going through now. But he also knows how the end of the book ends. Revelation 21 verse 4, it says, And God will wipe every tear from your eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I'm looking forward to that day. We may have tears now, but we're going to have tears of joy on that day. And nothing but joy forever and ever and ever. Now is the time for sowing. Sowing seeds of righteousness in our life. Paul says we will reap a harvest. Now is the time for sowing seeds of the gospel to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. There will be a harvest. Now is the time, while we have time, before the harvest of the world, to work with the Master. He brought back ancient Israel from captivity, and he can do it for us too. It may be quick, or it may be a gradual process, but God will help us. I want that joy. How about you? Well, let's get to work for God. And let's record what he's done for us already, lest we forget. Let's bow our heads. Loving Heavenly Father, I know you're a God of love because I've experienced you in my life. I've experienced your forgiveness and your peace, the joy of your salvation. My life and our lives have not been easy. We've gone through a lot of loss. We've shed tears and we'll shed tears again. We will fail you, Lord. We don't want to, but we will. But Lord, we want your help. We want your help so that we won't. And so if we fall, that you'll help us get back up again. Father, there are people in our lives that need to hear about what you've done for us. There are people that need to know how good you are. There are probably experiences that we need to record and write down before we forget. We'll need that encouragement in the future. So Lord, talk to our hearts. Make this message practical. Show us what we can do today, practically speaking, to apply Psalm 126 in our lives. And we look forward with great joy to that day when we'll see you face to face. Thank you so much, and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, let everybody say, Amen. 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 God bless you, and we will see you soon.